I'm Ashley Keenan and you're listening to Every Mum, the podcast, now in its 10th season and supported by Water Wipes, the number one baby wipe in Ireland, made with simply two ingredients and nothing else. When I had my daughter, I wanted something I could trust to use on her skin and Water Wipes were and still are the one. I once made the mistake of trying a different brand. Never again. I didn't realise just how much of a difference there could be between two fairly similar brands, but it was huge. My daughter is now two, and I still panic if I don't have at least one pack of water wipes within line of sight. With that in mind, I'm happy to say this season is supported by that most essential of products for every mum, water wipes. Winners of seven National Parenting Product Awards 2022, including Best Baby Wipes, they are ideal for delicate newborn skin. Together, we are committed to providing more support for parents with trusted products and this podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Every Mum, the podcast. My name is Ashton Keenan and I'm your host. And yes, they have given me the mic back. I'm allowed to present another episode. It's a miracle. <laughs> in, uh, in 2018, my guest for this episode, Claire Moore, was diagnosed with a brain tumour and chronic illness that she still lives with and deals with today. Originally Irish but living in Hong Kong currently, she's somewhat away from her village so she's had to navigate the challenges of parenting her daughter who's now two while not only living with her condition but being quite far away from her family members and friends, some of her family members and friends. So she's currently pregnant with baby number two which is fantastic news but her story is just one of incredible strength and resilience and although she's keen to get across that she finds parenting incredibly joyful she also says that sometimes it's like silence on the outside and sirens on the inside which I definitely identified with when she said it and I think it's something that many of us listening could identify with. She is really really positive and and I think even through her illness manages to find those moments of levity and moments of magic in parenting which I think is inspirational actually because sometimes it can be very very easy to get bogged down in the you know the hardship and the difficulty and the challenge of it all but in spite of having her illness and in spite of it all Claire is still so able to focus on and find those moments of just light and joy and I think that's something that you know we could all probably learn from so I hope you enjoy the chat with Claire. Claire Moore, thank you all the way from Hong Kong. Thank you so much for joining me on Every Mum the Podcast. I'm so delighted to be chatting to you finally. Thank you so much for having me on. I know it's been nearly two years to the day of our chats. Um, and there's on, a very online. good reason for that yeah online yeah. Ex- exclusively online well I mean in yeah. fairness I haven't been to Hong Kong since uh pre-COVID so yeah. um we haven't had a chance to have any in real life interactions but um Claire and I know each other for we we kind of interacted online before we kind of follow each other yeah. and then we happened to have a coincidental um occasion a couple a couple of years ago <laughs> nearly two years ago where we both gave birth to our little girls on the exact same day yeah so your three, penny four, is nearly two yeah. yeah uh two three four yes 23rd of april yeah. um so that's when we kicked it up a notch and started talking about um 
our babies and all things motherhood and I'll never forget your daughter's birthday and you'll never yeah. forget my daughter's birthday so that's I think I remember, yeah I think I remember the time zones working out really well I'd be up in the middle of the night feeds and you'd be in the day yes. and it'd be the other way around as well yes exactly so if I was ever up in the middle of the night crying my eyes out <laughs> you were there to be like it's okay I'm in I'm in the future like- it's going to be fine <laughs> The sun is coming up. It will be fine. It will be okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And in those night, I mean, do you know those night feeds where the whole world is asleep, it seems. And, you know, you've got maybe you've got a sleeping partner beside you and it's just you and your baby. And you're in those like first few months of like hormones and you just feel like your whole world is going to end if you don't get back to sleep or if they don't go to sleep or whatever. Yeah. I was able to be like, well, Claire's awake. I know she's awake. <laughs> she might, it might be the daytime where she is, but she's up. <laughs> and it, it was really such a weird make a difference. Yeah. Doesn't it? Like just yeah. to know that someone else is out there, like um, um, in those early uh, days. The early day, like how can you be, how can you feel so lonely when you've something attached to you? Like that's the bit that I can I never know. get my head around. It's bizarre. And it, yeah. there's a weird, like, it's kind of scary because when everyone else is asleep or, or as you perceive it, everyone else in the world is asleep you're awake yeah. and you have to you've to you're responsible for this human's existence and they're the fact that they're still alive and it's uh the weight of that sometimes can be quite terrifying anyway Claire so let's chat I I wanted I really wanted to have you on because your story I guess um about parenthood yes but also kind of how you got there, your route to parenthood, and of course, your illness that you were um, diagnosed with it back in 2017, 2018. I just find fascinating. And I also I'm interested in there are so many different routes through life to parenthood that I wanted to kind of chat to you about that. So for anyone listening, kind of give us a bit of a rundown of your story going back to 2016, 2017. Um, yeah, so I initially went to the doctor with um a lump on my breast and I hadn't had a period in six months so I kind of just thought something's up um I'd moved to a new country I was working a different job I kind of thought I might be stress related I was enjoying myself a lot and trying to experience a new culture and was probably burning the candle from both ends so put it down to that um but my wonderful GP here highlighted a few kind of hormonal issues and sent me off for a load of different tests which I'm so super grateful for but one of them was um, a diagnosis of a benign brain tumor that was pressing on my pituitary gland and was causing all of these hormone fluctuations that was basically putting my body into a pregnant state without being pregnant. So, That's so bizarre. Of- when yeah, when you said that, like you, it, yeah. it, what was it that it it excrete your 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 tumor excreted prolactin, which makes you think yeah. you're pregnant. Yeah. So <laughs> prolactin is what is makes your body lactate. So I was having like actually only one of them, which is weird. One of my boobs was leaking. So that was kind of like a lump in your breast. And a, like my mom had breast cancer and you have a leaking nipple. You're like, OK, well, out of all of the signs that they tell you to check every month, mm-hmm. that was two yeah. of them. Yeah, so yeah. go and have a look. Um, I gained loads of weight. I was knackered. Um, like suppose all those telltale signs when I actually went through pregnancy that I was like, oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was a thing. Um, so that was an initial tumor diagnosis. And then uh, about four or five months later, I was diagnosed with a brain condition called intracranial hypertension. So the two of them were interlinked. Um, and that is a chronic illness that is just a 
intense pressure inside your skull that causes a lot of neural damage, I suppose, if it's not treated. So then I had a shunt fitted. I had brain surgery in October 2018, um, which was I, super intense. Just ask, it was was like, that yeah. like intense, but like to be diagnosed with a brain tumor, benign or not, like that must have been terrifying. Like I would be absolutely rattled. Yeah, it was like when I look back on it, it's very strange to look back on because mm-hmm. I I see how I responded to it as someone completely foreign. I was so submissive. I was so like, oh, you know, okay, no, it's because uh, it was really affecting my life and it was really affecting my relationship and it was really affecting my job. And I was just like, okay, yeah, no, I suppose I'm not great at the minute and I'm not a great friend and I'm not really a great colleague and probably not a great girlfriend. And I was just, I think I was so exhausted by the whole thing and I felt so unwell. I wasn't aware of how unwell I felt because it was so gradual that I, I didn't really respond. I would just kind of lay down <laughs> quite a okay. lot physically and yeah, mentally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And then when I started to get the diagnosis of the intracranial hypertension, and that's when I met my neurologist and the team and everything moved super quickly then. I think it was mm-hmm. like 10 days between the um intracranial hypertension diagnosis and the brain surgery it was super fast like my mom had 24 hours to get to hong kong kind of thing um which when i look back and now it was for a very serious reason in that i was going blind so (laughs) have the surgery because we need to save your eyesight whereas for me it was just like oh they have a slot they'll fit me in so in hindsight and I've obviously done a lot of work with therapists and stuff on that too to kind of process it and go through it and talk about plans going forward because it's a chronic illness it doesn't just stop it has to be managed and for me that was a big one was where I was like I didn't want it it sounds really weird but I didn't want to be defined by it but I didn't want it to have an impact on my life to the point that I felt how I felt beforehand Mm -hmm. and I've been so lucky like I yeah, I have my days where it's absolutely playing on me and I have to cancel plans or take stock or, you know, just have an easy day. Or mm-hmm. I do this thing of like counting spoons. I don't know if you've ever heard of the spoon theory where you've like, there was someone who had a chronic illness came up with this idea that she had a number of spoons every day and then certain activities in life have a number of spoons. And then basically okay. once your spoons are gone for the day, they're done. Right. And it's a really good way for me of kind of allocating my life, being like schedule wise or what's happening the next day, or I've got a really hectic weekend. That means next weekend is going to be super chill. It's very good in managing that for me and for Mm. my family. So, yeah. And do different days have different amounts of spoons? (laughs) Sorry, that sounds silly, but like, so like on a day where you're feeling really good and really kind of healthy and do you, are you said this, this is a 15 spoon day, let's go. And yeah. Yeah, like okay. there's been times where I remember like saying to Penny when she'd obviously have no clue and I was like you gave me extra spoons today like oh. I just felt like I was like enhanced by her a little bit um which That's is really so lovely sweet. so those days I absolutely rally and I'm obviously full of gratitude but those days are more and more common now mm-hmm. than they were That's... maybe a couple of years ago and after so you had brain surgery what when was that that was was that 20 October 2018 is that what you said or was it after that yeah Yeah. so did you at the time uh was it in your head at all is this going to affect my ability to have a child did that kind of come into your mind the only thing that did come into my I asked my neurologist could I still have a baby 
Okay. But that was a neurologist. That wasn't anyone to do with women's health or fertility. Fertility. Okay. So he was like, yeah, yeah, no problem. You might have to have a C-section, but you can have a baby and you can carry no problem. And I was like, okay, tick. I also asked him, could I go on an airplane and could I go on a roller coaster? Like that was in the line of questioning. (laughs) Yeah. You were like, can I still go on fancy holidays and can I still have like the ultimate crack on a roller coaster? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But listen, those are priorities too. Um, And in my life at that time, that's what they were. Like That's what, yeah. So kind of, and I, I, from speaking to you before, like it didn't, you weren't in the kind of mindset of, you know, parenting is in the immediate future for no. me okay Simon and I weren't even engaged I think it was well there's nothing to combine a couple or drive them apart like brain surgery so I'm very grateful that we were of the it stuck us together and he's been an incredible partner through all of that but you know we weren't even engaged we got engaged in the March after planned to get married the June after obviously COVID hit Asia in the in the January it hit you guys yeah. in the March our yeah. wedding was supposed to be that June so our plans were gone we'd gotten legally married in Hong Kong with just our parents knowing um in the March and then we were like okay when our wedding got cancelled we we're like everyone was scrambling for a date in like three months time yeah we we're like why don't we just postpone it ages away COVID yeah. will be gone and sure, maybe we can see how the family stuff goes. COVID was not gone. Side note, we yeah. still haven't had a <laughs> we're on our third iteration of it. Oh my God. And it's hilarious yeah. that people were scrambling for a day three months in the, into the future. Like, no. good one, guys. Like, it's not going to be gone in three months. Oh God, oh the God. hindsight. <laughs> I know. So yeah. three years on, Christ. And you're still yeah. waiting for a date. So um, just to go back then to um, kind of your your process of conceiving penny <laughs> you yeah. were you were saying that you well, obviously you said it to your neurologist along alongside roller coasters and air travel mm-hmm. and they were like yeah fine what happened then when you actually wanted to conceive yeah I knew because of my hormone history that I would wanted mm-hmm. to go and speak to my endocrinologist and find out from his point of view and a fantastic man a wonderfully British kind of older fellow who just said you know Claire this isn't going to be a straight line but we're here to support you and I said what do you mean and he was like well you're going to struggle to conceive and you will probably need to explore alternative uh, methods of conceiving and I think I was saying to you before like yes having a child does not define you as a woman but for me it was all I ever wanted um like you could ask my mom, she would always say to you, I always gravitated toward kids. I loved hanging around with kids. I loved playing with people's kids. I was always super interested in it. I was very interested in babies. And like, if I could go back to uni, I always said I do midwifery. Like that's how much I was into it. So I think when they said to me, oh, you're going to struggle, that nearly made me go even further into like reading about it and understanding more about it and all that kind of stuff. And I felt very empowered in what I was learning through all my reading and went to my doctor and she kind of said, listen, you're just going to have to try. We can't do anything until you try. Like We can't go straight to IVF. We can't go straight to IUI. We need to go through this process in order for us to kind of see how things go. And we were super lucky we got pregnant immediately, which 
was mind blowing and also terrifying. Yeah, no, I'd say because I like, yeah, you kind of you think to yourself, oh, yeah, I'll probably get pregnant immediately. And then when it happens, you're like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm well, pregnant. I was a bit like they said this wouldn't happen. This obviously isn't going to happen. Yeah. So it's obviously yeah, yeah. going to stick. And in my head, I was like, well, it's not. Let's just not get excited about this. And okay. I had a bleed at six weeks. Um, and then so I hadn't even been for an early scan at that point. And I went in and um they were I had to do a transvaginal scan because it was so early and my husband was like what is going on here <laughs> I thought they did uh, no it's very early and the sonographer was trying to explain it to him yeah, yeah, yeah. and they brought up you know the uh, picture on the screen and it was a big black hole and Simon kind of just squeezed my hand or whatever and the sonographer just went no that's her bladder <laughs> He was like, oh, right, okay. And he was like, just look to the left a bit. And we were very lucky to be able to see a heartbeat, which continued and continued, obviously, into what is now Penny. Gorgeous. And like, was that, was the idea of, um, when you discovered you were pregnant then, was the idea of, uh, or was the prospect of becoming a parent while still very much kind of freshly off the back of, learning about your chronic illness was that kind of scary like because parenting or the thoughts of parenting at the best of times for me like pre-Lydia was kind of like scary you're kind of like okay my whole life is going to change you know this is going to happen that's going to happen Hmm. but I kind of felt prepared like you're never prepared but I kind of was like okay but like you being so ill and kind of newly getting to know yourself as someone who has to live with this illness was that totally terrifying it was, um, I don't think it was terrifying for me. It was just really overwhelming. Um, and I just thought, what if I can't do this? What if I have these days? What if I, you know, what if I have a brain collapse again? What if I end up having to have surgery when I'm pregnant? Like all of these things were going through my head. Um, so I basically just shard all of my doctors with questions and emails and, various bits and pieces and tried to find people online who were in a similar situation as me and all that kind of stuff and say what you want about sharing stories online. I find so much solace from people sharing their story because they've just, they might feel like they're shouting into a dark hole, but I was there and I was listening and I was able to go, okay, that sounds really like me. And that's given me either some kind of reassurance. It's given me some kind of timeline reflection or it's given me some kind of hope, I suppose um to be quite deep about it um so yeah and it, a lot of it was just like I had a panel of doctors I did, didn't have my OBGYN I was going to see my endocrinologist I was going to see my neurosurgeon like it was like a, a whole body checkup every time mm-hmm. I was going to have a look at the baby which in this day and age and given what's happening in other countries with medical crisis I will be forever grateful for mm-hmm. um that I was able to have all of those people who were really helping me out Mm-hmm. And so was pregnancy difficult for you or more difficult than the average pregnancy or how did you kind of find that? Um, I was sick, but obviously nowhere near as sick as yourself or friends. I I got sick on the wrong time zone, I used to say. I always used to get sick at like five, six o'clock in the evening. It was right. like I was on our time. <laughs> but then I always used to go like, how are people sick in the morning and then go to work? Like, at least I knew I was just passing out in the sofa for the evening and mm-hmm. catching up on Grey's Anatomy or something. But it was also COVID. So in Hong Kong, everything was locked down still. No one was going anywhere. No one was doing anything. No one was traveling. I didn't feel like I was missing out on anything. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of just got to be a sloth, which again, I'm very grateful for. Yeah, there what there is something to be said for COVID helping. Like, although I have to say, I really don't envy anyone who was pregnant in the depths of lockdown because um, I was, I was pregnant during COVID, like the kind of, you know, the worst of it, but not when it, when the entire country was locked down. Like we were still wearing masks and we were still kind of only able to go to like you couldn't go to a restaurant or you could you know until quite nearly the end of my pregnancy as far as I recall but I kind of in a way that was good for me because like that when I was so ill I didn't have to cancel loads of things I didn't have to feel like I was missing out on things yeah um did you so you felt a little bit like COVID was of benefit to you yeah yeah like there's you know COVID was obviously catastrophic for a lot of people in a lot of ways, of course, but of course, you know, when you, everyone kind of is looking back now, not with roast into glasses, cause it will never be a good no. thing, but yeah, yeah, there yeah, was yeah. elements yeah. of it that I was like, okay, well, it meant that I was, you know, enjoying my pregnancy as much as I could rather than trying to show up in an office mm-hmm. I could yeah. be from home or yeah. you know as yeah. you say counseling on friends or doing that thing where you have to try and hide it for 12 weeks because you want to wait for the scan and yes. like fake yeah, yeah, yeah. all that kind of stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yes this is gin and tonic I swear um <laughs> did you I saw it was I think it was on Instagram you posted recently um that you had to quarantine in hospital when you were pregnant is that tell me about that yes so Hong Kong had some of the strictest COVID and close contact COVID rules in the world. Okay. So if you had COVID in Hong Kong, you were packaged up, bundled off to a purpose-built COVID hospital out near the airport where you had to stay until you had three back-to-back negative tests. And some people were there for like six, eight weeks because they kept like their level wasn't low enough to ever be negative. And COVID tests in Hong Kong are more sensitive to anywhere else in the world. That's why loads of people were testing negative, getting on a flight and then testing positive as soon as they landed here, because their viral load was quite low for any other country, but high enough for Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. So I never actually had COVID. My husband, Simon, got COVID okay. in what was known as like a cluster. So it was this kind of a couple of people got it and the next round got it, the next round got it. And I think by the end of it, it was something like 480 people were affected by this cluster. Oh my God. And if you were a close contact, you also got taken away to quarantine because the thought was that you would more than likely develop COVID within a 14 day period so they could isolate you to stop the spread. That must um, have been thousands thinking- and thousands of people though. Oh God, I will send you a photograph of the setup that we had in Hong Kong. Ironically, it's in Disneyland um and it was just shipping containers piled on top of each other um yeah I think they had something like two and a half no I need to check the numbers but it was hundreds of thousands of people who were taken into government quarantine Um, in Disneyland how joyful so Simon was he was initially a close contact and he was going to be taken away that was the risk first because I was 35 weeks pregnant and he was like it's a bit close to the bone Mm-hmm. Then he got a test back to say he was positive, which meant I was going to be shipped off. But my doctor, who was amazing, wrote a pretty damning medical report about my neuro condition, all this kind of stuff as well, mm-hmm. to say she cannot go to the government facility. She needs to be in a medical facility. She needs to have the baby checked on. She needs to be checked on. 
like she's not going basically um right. and I was very thankfully being able to take him to a hospital but I was put rather on like a, a shipping container course. yeah rather than a shipping oh container my god like at 30 what, say, how many you were 34 weeks pregnant or so 35 35 weeks pregnant in a yeah. shipping and like imagine like and I'm sure there were plenty yeah. of women that had to go to the shipping containers when they yep. were pregnant and that's, that's the thing too there was loads of people terrifying. who were going to that yeah um and you know there's people being separated from their children all this kind of mm. stuff it was all a bit chaotic um mm-hmm. I, I went I was I got out when I was 37 and three and I gave birth when I was 38 and one. Oh my so god was that they were I was going to get COVID when I was in there and then I wouldn't have been released until I was negative which would have been after when I was giving birth so I was basically going to give birth in a room on my own I was like no 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 I'm having a plan C-section approved yes. by my neurosurgeon yeah. with my OBGYN. And they're like, Can I, can't give them access. And I was like, okay. Oh my gosh. So yeah, I've never, I actually lost weight as well when I was in there. While <laughs> pregnant. <laughs> I was like, oh, the meals I was getting, it was like rice and mystery meat three times a day. And when you got a snack, it was three temperatures of water, room temperature, water, cold water and hot water. So yeah. Oh my god, rice yeah. and mystery me. Like compared to the rotunda where you eat like a queen. <laughs> like I mean cupcake with the foot on it. Oh my god. That's okay. So things things went better after you had Penny though, right? So talk to me about that. Yeah. Did you did you did the delivery go okay? Was that all? Yeah, I was, I'd had a couple of meetings with her um, anesthesiologist before because I need to have things checked around like my spinal column and my brain pressure and mm-hmm. um, cerebral fluid and all that kind of stuff. So again, it was more like a holistic approach of everything rather than just yeah. the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me as well, I was there and like, okay, well, once the baby's out, what does this mean? Because yeah. sometimes when I go through like a stress, that's when I have a brain response. Mm-hmm. so yeah I think as you were saying like that overwhelming feeling was very much there um and I remember the night before going into the hospital and Simon had gone home and I was just like what if I can't do this what if this doesn't work what if this is just never meant to happen um but I think the part of it that I had never taken into account which I would empower myself for for second time round is the hormone effects that I had was like 300 times the normal hormone load that a woman would have. So I was upside down. Yeah. Oh my God. Because I was just, I actually was just about to ask, you know, your hormones are obviously impacted by your brain tumor and by your illness. So how did that affect, but like, because I mean, those few weeks after you immediately give birth, I, they were the worst like they were just the toughest times I didn't know what was going on and again if I was yeah. to have another child I would at least okay I'm sure it would still feel like the end of the bloody world but I still I would at least know I would be able to at least tell myself okay this happened the last time it'll probably end yeah. after 18 days or whatever so but 300 times the hormonal impact oh my god how yeah. did you like how um, how tell me how I will be really honest I didn't um I will credit my husband with a lot of that the first kind of I think it hit me on day seven my milk didn't come in until until day six it wasn't until after I was home I was really struggling with feeding 
And then all of a sudden, I just was terrified of the dark. I was terrified of windows. We just moved into a new apartment that has like loads of massive birds flying around it. I was terrified of birds. I couldn't go outside. It was, um, I like, I didn't know myself. It was really, really strange. And I could tell by my husband's reaction that it was quite extreme. And I remember reading like an email from one of those mom subscriptions that you sign up to when you're pregnant about the Edinburgh scale and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, I won't even read that. I don't need that. I've never had anxiety in my life. I'll be fine. Yeah. I really wish I'd empowered myself a little bit more. Um, And actually just before this, I had written myself a load of questions or thoughts that I had during that time. And I read it before this because I kind of wanted to remind myself of kind of where I was at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was things of like, so much of it was around my illness and my tumor and what was that going to do and was I going to I mean it was going to be a disservice to my daughter and was it going to affect me as a mother and so much of it was just that kind of cloud that was around it where I was like I should just be focusing on my baby right now but I'm thinking about myself then that went into I'm being really selfish and then I was like okay well I'm in Hong Kong that's also really selfish because I've stolen this experience from my mother and my mother not like it just an absolute whirlwind it spirals so Simon and I then had hourly check-ins okay <laughs> and we'd great. So every hour and we'd be like so okay where are we now what's going on um and so went to see my um endocrinologist and just like face was leaking nose was leaking shaking like I was just a hot mess Everything was leaking apart from my boobs, which I was dying which, for them to leak. The, yeah, <laughs> they were the things you wanted to get. And it's so yeah. funny because your boobs were leaking during yeah. when you had your, your tumour and they weren't leaking for the reason they're supposed to leak. Which is... No, it was mad. Um, and... It's so funny that you say that you you made notes um, for yourself to, like, I'm sure at the time you were making notes because you felt like you needed to get it out. But I, I yeah. did the same thing. I have... I have a doc or notes thing on my on my phone and I I go back and read it sometimes and it was like even reading the list can be overwhelming like it was was so dark the things that I was thinking and and you could kind of see my stream of consciousness and it was just each thought that I would have would lead to another negative thought would lead to another negative thought and like I can't imagine so if if I had if I had the average kind of hormonal breakdown after mm. you know immediately after birth the one that you had must have been just I can't even I, like I, I'm I'm delighted that Simon was there doing those early check-ins because yeah without that support you know oh it would have been like um yeah it would have been I'd say a very different story and my my start to motherhood would have been very different as well mm-hmm. but it was you know just I remember talking, it was a really bonding experience between my sister and I, which was really strange because we like, we were close, but we would never talk like we talk now. And she'd had a little girl about four months before I had. And she was like, here's what all my friends sent me, her friends who are doctors, read this. And there was so much of it that was just like (laughs) people going, it'll pass in six weeks. I was like, I can't do this for six weeks. Mm. Why is everyone saying six weeks? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, um, so, so, like somebody said to me, I remember someone was like, oh, wait for the day three hormones. That's the worst day. And then it'll pass. And I was like, OK, so on day one, when I started to feel 
like yeah. the world's least competent person who was going to accidentally kill their baby. Like, yeah. I remember being like, okay, well, this is day one. How bad is it going to be on day three? And then by day 18, I was like, when is this going to stop? So how long did it take for you to kind of feel, um, I suppose, like that that initial hormone overload was easing a little bit? Um, for me, it was when I made the decision to combi feed and okay. that seemed to reduce like the stress response in my body a little bit mm-hmm. um, because I was so like I was open to giving her formula. I gave her formula in the hospital because I like I wasn't even producing enough colostrum to feed her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'd had a midwife's visit who kind of took Simon to the side to say, you know, this is serious. Now Penny is losing a lot of weight. We need to do something here. And I was like. I remember just crying to her saying, I just want to give my baby a bottle. And she was like, give your baby a bottle. And I think she'd rang our pediatrician and kind of gave him hell because he was like, no, 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 do nothing but put her on the boob for three days. This will help her. It will help you. And the clincher, it will help your figure. Stop. They did not say that to you. Yep. And like I'd say it was about six months before I kind of went, did he actually say that to me? oh my god uh, you knock me over with a feather did they actually encourage you in in spite of you being like so you yeah, were going through actual hell and they were like yeah but your figure oh my just god put her on the boob for nothing but three days and in in standard cases that kind of cluster feeding and giving boob on demand does increase milk and does increase supply and all that kind of stuff but I was obviously having some kind of conflict with hormones and all that kind of stuff that the my hormonal load was so high but my prolactin was non-existent and I don't know whether that was like a hangover from my medication that was treating my tumor that was reducing my prolactin all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um and I in hindsight I just wish I'd gone for that sooner there is no shame in the bottle game whatsoever no, and no. I just wish I knew that and I wish I'd done that and I'd wish and so, I'd gone I mean, sometimes that. sometimes your body like yours for for whatever reason just doesn't play ball I mean I was the same yeah. I had immediately after delivery when I was in actually recovery from the cesarean section there was I remember the Lydia was on my chest but there were two nurses, one with each boob. One one had one boob and one had the other boob and they were trying to get the colostrum out. And there was very little. I mean, they they barely filled half of one of those very tiny syringes. And for days, my there was nothing. Uh, there was nothing coming out. And they were saying to me, you know, stand in the shower and let the warm water go on your boobs or whatever. And still nothing was coming out. And every day they'd come in and they'd check and they'd say, and of course I had to just give her a formula. Yeah. from the get-go because you can't just not feed a brand new baby yeah um but I was given her formula but I was still hopeful I was still thinking you know this might happen this might happen and yeah. so by the time it happened Lydia had already had, like become accustomed to getting lots of milk very yeah. easily from the bottle so she from the little you know those little tiny ones they give you in the hospital yeah. so by the time it came you know by the time my milk came in there was no chance of her getting onto the boob at all yeah and I had such guilt about that like and I I mean the fact that you your kind of mental load eased a little bit the the, at the at the point where you decided to combi feed says it all you know 100% yeah so Um, this time around sorry so 
great news. Claire, Claire is expecting her second baby. So how many you're five months pregnant? 20 weeks today. Twi- ah, 20 weeks yeah. today. What a time. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. That's amazing. And Thank the 20-week mark is such a, it's a, a mental milestone I found um, yeah. for pregnancy. Um, so You know so much around, the second time around. So yeah, it was yeah. like, got it. Yeah, you just, you know, all the milestones you're already, and then you, you can't help but compare pregnancies, right? Or like, did I feel movement? When did I feel movement last time? What yeah, was my yeah, scan? Yeah. What my scans like? What was the baby moving like? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So this time around, this pregnancy, this kind of, this birth that you're going to be experiencing soon, mm-hmm. what, how has that differed? And do you feel differently about it? And is your illness affecting it in the same ways you know how is this pregnancy going so far I think I mentally was very keen to have a second baby but I there was then also like a voice going don't do that don't do that that's going to be way too much you can just about handle this don't don't put something else on the radar like no just you've got what you've got be grateful for that and I obviously am Mm-hmm. But I was like, okay, well, we'll try. I went and did, went and spoke to all my doctors again. And they were like, yeah, give it a go. And like, it took months this time. Um, okay. And I obviously, in the grand scheme of people who are um, struggling with fertility, it wasn't that long. It was nine months, but it was like peeing on sticks and all that kind of stuff this time, which mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is, you know, technology is amazing these days, but it's also really unsexy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, the ovulation sticks is, yeah, they're not, yeah, they're not sexy. No. <laughs> no, I was like, who knew the smiley face could, you know, change a room? Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, we were super, super grateful. And it was one of those things where I was just, I wasn't stressing about it. And I, I did kind of go, we were so lucky last time with how it worked out and how quick it was and all that kind of stuff. I was like, I'm older, my, I'm under more stress just because it's not COVID and I have a child. Yes. I'm back in an office job again. We are traveling, we're doing things. I, life is busy. And there's all of those elements of, you know, the cortisol levels and stress hormones affect your fertility and all that kind of stuff. Everyone does all the reading now to find out what's going on. And it's also, it's an age thing as well. So I kind of thought, right, well, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. We have options, which is also amazing. Um, but no, we find out in December that we were expecting a second um which was super exciting um but terrifying like I was saying to you I just felt like I knew too much I was like oh my god and then I got sick oh no (laughs) oh my word the sickness this time around um thank god for Andansetron and all of those (laughs) wonderful medications Yeah. yeah and for me it was I think the thing that really struck me, I was having really bad migraines and obviously migraines okay. for me associated with my head. And I was worried that I was having um, some kind of issue with either my shunt or my condition or was my tumor growing because I have to come off my tumor medication when I get pregnant. Okay. Um, so again, back into my panel of experts. Um, and thankfully everything is much better now feeling much brighter feeling much better but there's also like there's a tiny person running around you don't get to yeah lie on the no, sofa no rest lie <laughs> no, yeah none of that um yeah. but no super grateful and obviously grateful that the world is open and I can see my family this time like my family yeah. never saw me pregnant last time yeah. my mom's never seen me with a bump 
um yeah. didn't meet penny until she was like four months old so yeah. it'll be hopefully a little bit different on that side from a positive point of view. this podcast is just one way that every mum supports you another amazing way is our free gift bag packed full of essentials for you and baby including free samples of water wipes the number one baby wipe in ireland to receive yours register now on everymum.ie there's a free gift bag there waiting for every mum so I would love to know as well, uh, I was, I've always been kind of fascinated by how parenting occurs when you are, first of all, in a different country, but second of all, away yeah. from what would typically be your, like your family support system, I suppose. So parenting in Hong Kong, what, what in your, like, obviously you've met, you, you haven't parented in Ireland where you're from. So no. But what do you perceive as the differences? Like how, how does how does it work and how, how different is it to, to be a parent of a toddler in Hong Kong and to be pregnant? Yeah, um, well, you don't have the village in that you don't have the village ready-made in best friends, aunts, mums, grannies, all that kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? You don't have that. Yeah, they're all on WhatsApp, but no one was like tangibly around. Um and I suppose there's an aspect well as well of just it's culturally different. So like kids start school here at like two. They can get on oh. a school bus and go to school when they're like two years old. Or like it's a very common thing here to have nannies as well. So there's so many differences that I feel like sometimes you can't talk about with friends at home or yeah. in different countries because it's just so different. Um, the idea of like sending a kid to nursery or two was like completely scoffed at but I was like but your kid's been in daycare since he's been six months old like mm-hmm. it's just viewed very differently um and when you say to get on a school bus and go to school at two do you do you send them off and just go yeah there you go now like at two but yeah it's a very so like if you think about education in Chinese culture it's very 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 strong and yeah it's not just the education it's all the extracurriculars and it's the music lessons mm-hmm. and it's the language lessons and all that kind of stuff as well the opportunity for kids to learn here is incredible yeah but for me it's somewhat overwhelming mm-hmm. so I'm a bit like no she's only two she's staying here for another while yeah <laughs> I guess I can't imagine like obviously as we said our daughters are the exact same age I can't yeah. imagine sending Lydia off on a on a school bus like she goes to play school for like literally four hours a week and even at that I'm like now come home <laughs> you know yeah and um, there is it, there's it's it's all scalable right there's mm. some kids who don't leave their parents sides until they're five there's some mm. kids who go to all the language lessons and music lessons and football lessons from the age of two there's some who go into an international schooling system at two but then if you think about it, there's kids who are in daycare, like I said, from six months old in Ireland. Course, yeah, that's they're, right, true, yeah. they're there right until they go through to school. So mm-hmm. it's just, I think it's the, it's parenting is viewed very differently from afar, but actually a load of it is the same. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, what about, so will you, um, did you get a nanny or have you got childcare for your for obviously you work full-time so you must have some form of childcare. yeah we do we have an angel on earth called Nora who we absolutely love and adore and she's 100% part of our family Mm -hmm. um we're ever grateful for her that there's someone so consistent in Penny's life that she loves Penny and Penny loves her 
Um, and you know, and a lot of people would say, Oh, but I'm so worried. What if they like the childminder kind of in Ireland as well? What if they like the childminder better than they like me? And I'm like, if she runs to Nora when she's hurt, that's amazing to me. Like yes. to have yeah. that kind of comfort and that confidence yeah. in someone. Yeah. Um, I think it's wonderful. So no, she's super yeah. special to us. And we are like, I don't have my mom here. I don't have my sisters here. I've got best friends here, but I don't have my old school best friends who've known me for like yeah. 15 years to that kind of way. So it's with actually it became part of um what I ended up studying last summer. I was unfortunately made redundant from my job last May. And I've always been super, super interested. I was saying to you before in the child space, in the birthing space. So I was like, stuff it. I'm going to train to be a doula. <laughs> so I started yeah. training. Yeah. Oh my started God, training amazing. to be a postpartum doula. Um, and also became a baby massage instructor because of the experience I had in Hong Kong was lacking what I wanted. So I was like, well, I can't complain about it. I'll just be what I wanted. Do something. So, yeah. Like so I started the baby gang, which is um, baby massage around Hong Kong for like people who are just looking for a bit more of a community rather than just, yeah. I kind of want to learn how to massage my baby. Uh, you mm. know, it's a bonding thing, actual routines for digestion, colic, teething, coughs, colds, mm. but also someone who's in the same trench as me can yeah, we go yeah, for a yeah. coffee afterwards. Because... Do you know what? I totally found that like any, any class, like I, I brought Lydia to clap handies, you know, every yeah. Friday and I bring her to swimming and I brought her to a couple of things when she was little and they weren't, I mean, obviously, don't get me wrong. I wanted my daughter to have a, a little, you know, enjoyable couple of hours or play with other kids or, you know, sing nursery rhymes or whatever. But most of that was so you could be around the people that are in the exact same boat as you and you know yeah. to look at each other and like, you know, you go there and you you haven't washed your hair for four days and you look like a toe, but that's grand because so do they. Yeah. <laughs> and you see, or you forgot the baby wipes. Someone gives you baby Someone wipes. Someone else has baby wipes. Yeah, you forgot the na- They forgot the nappy. You give them a nappy back. Like it's yeah. that. Yeah, it's that like unspoken, like community yeah. part of it yeah. where you're all yeah, just yeah, yeah, the yeah. same thing. And there's so much. Um, this is not a plug, so if you need to remove it, you can. But um, <laughs> I'm working with a company here called the Family Zone. Who I'm super passionate about and very proud to be part of, but it's everyone does antenatal courses, everyone does the birth course, everyone does the hypnobirthing, and they plan for what is probably maximum, hopefully, 48 hours. Nobody plans for the fourth trimester, and it's such an integral part. Mm-hmm. Like you're you're born yourself as a mother. It's such an integral part of learning and understanding and growing in confidence in yourself so we created a postpartum course so it's a four-week course where we cover feeding sleeping sleeping for mother not just for the baby music and movement we do an introduction to baby massage um and then we have like a bit of a sign off with a midwife just for birth debrief because there's so many people who don't get to talk about what they experienced good bad more often than not quite ugly mm-hmm. but that that's quite normal like yeah. everyone can go okay, I can't talk about the fact that I had a horrific birth and I'm still in a nappy eight weeks later because I'm supposed to be enjoying every moment of this yeah. you can enjoy it both things can happen in tandem yeah it doesn't have to be all singing all dancing or oh god this is terrible how did mm. I ever do this mm. both can and, happen in the same day and you can feel like so so grateful and 
delighted and in love with your child and also absolutely hate how they came into the world or hate the process of you know that those few first few weeks or but I, I that's actually that's phenomenal that you're doing that because I one of the things that really sticks with me and and struck me um was uh like how much so there's a lot of there seems to be a lot of care and focus and attention put on you when you're pregnant um particularly if you're if if you're going to see a consultant like obviously you had lots of uh different doctors and stuff but for kind of the average the average pregnant person might see their 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 midwife or their doctor uh or their gp or their consultant throughout the pregnancy and it's all very you know you're you're monitored and they keep yeah. an eye on you and they check your blood and they check on the baby and they give you scans and all that kind of thing. And then there's all this, you know, obviously a lot of focus on how you deliver, whether that's um, vaginally, whether that's a cesarean section. Yeah. And then you have the baby. And for the, if you're, you know, you might be in hospital for 24 hours, you might be in hospital for five days if you've had surgery of some kind. Yeah. And then I genuinely remember like loading Lydia into the car seat in the hospital getting ready to leave and I was sobbing because I was well hormonal but also really scared of how I was going to parent this child without the support of several medical professionals around me yeah I remember being like but what if she gets the hiccups and I don't have a nurse to speak to about these hiccups yeah and that was me as the parent of someone whose child was healthy and making progress and stuff yeah, I cannot imagine how terrifying that must have been or that that day or that moment must be for someone whose child had issues or who had medical complications or who had, you know, who has some kind of developmental um, issue going on, anything like that. And I remember being like, is, is this it? Am I just I'm just out the door now. And that's it, you know, mm. and a couple of weeks later, I had one, you know, 30 minute check with the with the, the the nurse the kind of the area nurse or whatever it is but like no one no one was ringing me and saying how are you getting on no one was no one was checking on my you know my health my mental health. yeah no do you know what I mean like it was just you very much feel like okay I've been monitored and taken care of and everything's good you know and then oh no off you go don't like yeah raise that child there you've no instructions mind you but raise the child do your do your very very best while recovering from surgery and while in the most intense hormonal fluctuation you'll yeah. ever face so I'm so glad to hear an, that you've you've yeah. you're doing that because I think it's so so important it's so important it's so lacking but there's also an element of like we want everyone is talking now about being open about how negative postpartum is which I totally get because it is but there is so much joy in that space as well and it's understanding Mm -hmm. that both can happen at the same time I often describe it as silence on the outside sirens on the inside where everyone's just like "Mm -hmm, yeah it's great yeah it's wonderful oh god isn't she gorgeous yeah love it you're both in nappies you're both terrified you both cry all day that can happen (laughs) while also going there's lovely parts of this and I really do enjoy it. And I love showing my baby off and I'm so delighted to be in motherhood. It's an absolute shit show, but I'm still kind of delighted. And I think there's, there's very much like you're one or the other, mm-hmm. but actually in reality, everyone's on that midline. Everyone has days where it's one side or the other side, but I just like, for me, the biggest thing was just talking, just talk. 
And if you can't find someone close to, go and talk to a stranger about it because that's nearly so much easier. And that's why I wanted to do this postpartum group was put people together that would never meet only for the fact that your kids are the same age. And once your kids get past a year old, you might be like, they're not my people, but they are a tribe for that time in life. Yeah. And that's all that matters, isn't it? Like, and yeah. I completely agree with you as well about telling strangers things because I remember going to my first, was it, I think it must've been Clap Handy's class. Um, and Lydia was only about six, seven weeks, something like that. Like I brought her really early and it was genuinely because you're in the house all day with this tiny person and all that you want is you know connection with someone um and obviously you know you do have like you had Simon I had my husband like they're great but like there's there are times where you just want to say to another mother oh my god how are you getting on here is everything like did you were you did you sleep last night was there this was there that you just you just want to vent but saying it to a stranger well you want to vent about your partner which seems yeah wrong. that happens a lot too <laughs> but then if you don't vent about them you it comes up in a different way directly to them and I've said mm. it before the hardest one of the hardest things about having a baby is having a husband and I don't mean that <laughs> in, a, in a scathing way I mean it in the because you want to show up for your partner you still want to be cute for your partner you still want to have conversations you still want to have that life you had before you had a baby mm-hmm. that's what I mean about it being hard having a husband or a partner or a wife or um a birth partner you want to still be that person that they know and love you don't want to be this kind of vulnerable wreck um or you don't want to be the tired person who snaps or doesn't have the brain capacity and it's you know we also do a lot with uh, the family zone with dads to be like, we have a dads to be support group to be like, don't ask questions. Don't ask what I can do. Just do the things. Yeah. Don't give more on the mental load. Take it away. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh my God. Things? That, that is so that listen, if there's any fathers listen to this or other halves <laughs> of any description, this is what I want you to know, because I swear to God, I remember yeah. one day, I can't even remember how old Lydia was, but she was young. And I remember coming home from work and I swear to God for the first I'm going to say at least 10 minutes when he was in the house he did not say one thing to me that wasn't a question and even though it was even some of them were nice some of them were like how was your day yeah grand uh what do you want for dinner do you think will I will I go in and uh actually will I empty the bins first or will I blah 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 and I was like and I remember just standing up and being like, if you ask me one more question, yeah. I'm going to lose my shit. Because honestly, I could, I, I, even the, even the, how was your day question was too much for me yeah. at the time. Yeah. So I am delighted that you're working with dads or, you know, partners or because Christ, <laughs> like, there's, there's so much, you're so right. There's so much angst I remember having such I, I remember apologizing a lot in the early days uh to him just being like I'm so sorry I'm like this I'm so sorry I'm like this and in fairness he was great and very supportive and like he, I couldn't fault him for his apart from that you know incident where he wouldn't stop asking me bloody questions uh but it is I think very valuable for any partner of someone who's pregnant partner of someone who has just given birth to know uh to know what's going on just to be educated just to understand that the hormonal shifts will make you know crazy things happen for for a you know a period of time um 
And don't make fun of it. Don't make light of it. You mm. are there as uh, as a partner in this moment. You're not there to be like the recipient of what you would hope to be affection and love. It's it's not about that. But I also very much believe that you can't be a good parent without being a good partner. So it's things like if I was walking into a room, I'd acknowledge him first before I acknowledge Penny. Like that kind of stuff that I tried to make so that it was about us and mm. she is a product of us rather than... Yeah we just didn't speak to each other and we tag teamed with a tiny ball and like a tiny ball of, yeah. Oh God, she was so cute when I think about it, but Jesus, <laughs> when she, roared, she roared. Yeah. This is it. They're all extremely cute, but when they yeah. aren't, they're, they're yeah. Um, and that's, it's so funny because the, that thing of uh, walking into a room and acknowledging uh, your husband and then acknowledging your baby I still now make sure that when I come home from somewhere having been out or when I come into a room and they're both there I I always make I always make a conscious effort to greet both of them well it doesn't really matter yeah. which comes first but I always make sure I I and, and also Maisie the dog of course oh yeah of course <laughs> Maisie, is, Maisie is top of my uh must greet list when I yeah. come in from being out um, Claire, this was so, so interesting and fascinating. And I'm, I really, will you come back on when you've got number two and we'll chat about Oh my God, I'd love to. Parenting uh, your, your new baby. We, I won't come to you in the first few weeks because who knows who I'll get. That'd be great. I'd really appreciate that. Yeah. I'll do, I'll just come to Hong Kong for six months and I can, yeah, I'll be, I'll be your doula. And, uh, yeah. And I, I would actually love to chat to you about the process of learning to be a doula which I mean I can't oh, I I'm just that, yeah. this is yeah that sounds fascinating I'm to me super passionate about it like mm. it's got nothing to do with my day-to-day job but um I'm fascinated and really passionate about the space and holding space for mothers um and mothers to be so yeah I'd love to talk about it but thank you so much for having me on it's been so thank nice you. to chat to you thank you and, so much uh, we'll be sharing birthday party photos very soon yeah, I'm so excited. Oh my God, I can't believe that there too. We gave birth last week. How did that happen? <laughs> Time but I'll go out here now and she'll be demanding various different things for her dinner. So yeah, she's yes, two. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my God. <laughs> the the terrible twos came a couple of months early in our house. So I'm already, uh, yeah, I'm already in that trench. <laughs> anyway, Claire, on, thank they're you. The terrific twos. The terrific twos. Terrific, yes. Okay, we'll frame it that way. <laughs> Claire, thank, thank you, you again so, so, so much. Thank you so much for listening and to Water Wipes, the number one baby wipe in Ireland, for their support. Their wipes are made with simply two ingredients, 99.9% water and a drop of fruit extract. And they are also plant-based and plastic-free. If you enjoyed this conversation, subscribe, rate or leave a review. You can share this episode across social if you like and you can get in touch with the guest on social media and their handles will be in the show notes. Oh,